everybody. Hi, guys. We're here. Glasses come off. Oh, yeah. For a moment. For a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyway, we're glad y'all are here on this Monday, May Day. Yes. Right? May 1st. Yeah. We're back to Mark today. Here so, it's good. It's a beautiful day good. out there today. It's all good. It was a beautiful day yesterday. Indeed, it was so beautiful yesterday that at the end of the day, after everything we, we did yesterday, it was a pretty busy Sunday, we um, went to Gloria's. You know why. So we get there, and half of Plano and Frisco is there. Yes, last yeah. night, because it was so nice out. Yeah, and they didn't have enough servers. So they had tables, but it's that, that problem. The economy, you know, there's just not enough servers at a lot of these places now. Yes. And... Um, so we, we just up at we the ate bar. at the bar. Yeah, <laughs> we felt kind of cool doing that. We're, yeah, really. We're not really I felt the really. Kind of I felt, I felt kind of cool. <laughs> we had a nice time. It was but all right. The and of course, was so long. and of course, Patty makes friends with the guy sitting on 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 her right. Of course, yes, I did. Of course, you did. Yeah, it was about he our was, son Robbie's age, and you know, so it was, you know. He was glad to have a couple of really cool dudes. <laughs> yeah, <you know>. cool <laughs> old people. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Anyway. So we're coming up on that kind of nice weather where you we have are. to take advantage of the nice times that it is to sit outside. And I don't know what it is that I just like sitting outside for a meal. It's just very, very nice. I don't very know. nice. I guess because here we're either freezing cold or we're really hot most of yeah. the year. Those days are coming too. They are. <laughs> <laughs> no escape them. So here we are. Anyway, I guess we're we're ready to kind of okay. delve in today. We got I'm a ready. good group of people. You ready? Us. I am. I am. And, and guys, I am so sorry for those of you who like are online today. I just want to say, like, if we ever like lose you for something. You might just have to go back to Facebook again, look under notifications, and re-click on the on the link to Scott's class. We've, and this is the truth, not through any of our fault. In almost every class lately, something has happened, including a. Not yes, this one so much. Not this one. Sunday so morning, much. but I think and maybe they. Tuesdays. So we, we kind of hope, and we're thinking maybe that's because this is out of our house and no one can touch Scott's equipment. It's all up to <laughs> us. So, okay. So, anyway, thanks for being here. Being patient. Yes. Okay, shall I pray? Please. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. It's a sunny day. It's great people. We're doing this virtual fellowship here, but it, but it's good. And we appreciate the fact that we live in a time when we can gather in this way across wide distances. Um, and we pray your blessings on our time together. And please, will your Holy Spirit help to open up these pages of Mark for us. Some of this is, you know, things that we've heard preached and talked about many times. But help us to get a little deeper and, and, and tie some pieces together here. So we can really, really hear Jesus well and, and see what he is doing to enact the arrival of the kingdom of God. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Okay, so Patty will go around. Get the to cameraman. the producer's booth. Yep, going to get to the producer's booth. The cameraman will re will adjust the camera. Lighting appears good. <laughs> sound check. <laughs> sound check. I, I already did a sound check. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it wasn't everything wasn't seen to be working right, and so I did a sound check. I used the Glockenspiel sound for a sound check. Okay. Yeah, and it worked. 
Alrighty, so we are in the um, third chapter of Mark, and we're going to start at the 31st verse. That is what follows after Jesus being confronted again by the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders, um, uh, who are saying, well, the only reason he could do these things is because Satan is is in him. And we talked about that last week. And, and Jesus rep- responded, well, in a, f- a famous line, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. But it highlighted, just to review, these two themes that are going on. One is the escalating disclosure of who Jesus really is, the full picture of Jesus. And the second is the growing opposition to Jesus. So so both of those are just things sort of at the top of the line. Now today we're going to run into another one, another sort of way to understand what's happening. And I'll save that. Why do it now? Let, let's do it out of the out of the text, okay? So so look at look at verse thirty one. Um, some people say they find this to be a hard passage or a hard saying of Jesus or something. I I I don't think that is that is true. But here's how it goes. So we are in Mark three, verse thirty one. If Patty wants to go ahead and type that in the little window there, and Jesus is in Capernaum. Let me put up a couple of pictures here. Um, Jesus is in Capernaum up on that northwestern shore, right? And this is Capernaum today. This is a little illustration. Patty said she really liked last week, so I brought it back of, you know, just showing how the streets um, would lead down to the water and the houses were largely rectangular with... um, with flat roofs, and some of them would have space on the roof where a person could go up and uh, uh, be on top of the roof to sit in the sun or whatever. And this is another artist's rendition of, of that, same, same type of thing. Um, this is supposed to be Capernaum, and, and you can just get a decent sense of how things are put together. A lot of, time, a lot of these would be multi-generational homes. Um, so, I like how in the lower right-hand corner, um, the fish are laid out, I guess, to be drying. And there is the cat, drawn by the fish, I presume. Yes. But in any event, that's, that's sort of life in, 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 in Capernaum there. If you look in the lower left-hand corner, there's a portion of a boat that would be used for, for fishing. But, all right, but I think we, we may get far enough today that we'll, that we'll come back to that. And that boat looks very much like we've seen in the pictures of that remnant of the first Jesus boat. It is, and I have some pictures of that. We we may get far enough into Mar- for far enough today to get to the story of Jesus calming the storm, but I don't know. I've got it ready to go. I've got the pictures, but I'm not going to unveil them, you know, again until we get there. So, um, all right. So we cool with that, everybody. Cool. All right. So, he has finished this confrontation with the Pharisees and scribes. And then we're told in verse 31, Then Jesus' mother and his brothers arrived. 
So this would be Mary, and these would be his half-brothers. And he has several half-brothers. Um, they are not disciples or followers of Jesus before his death and resurrection. At least what we can tell. The most prominent of his half-brothers is James. James would go on to be a leader in the Christian community in Jerusalem. He would write the book, the letter known as James, which interestingly sounds more like Jesus, I think, than any of the rest of the New Testament books. It just You can hear Jesus' voice in this coming from his brother, and James was martyred um, in the early 60s A.D. So Mary is there. Some of his half-brothers have arrived, and standing outside, they sent one in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Well, okay. And he says, who are my mother and who are my brothers? Wow. Okay, so of course this is a culture which puts a lot of premium on family. A lot, a lot. It's, 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 about, it's about family, it's about mothers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and cousins. Um, one of the uh, Ten Commandments is to honor your, your parents, your mother and your father. So kind of all that is wrapped up here, and it seems like this terribly insulting thing Jesus is doing, but I don't know. I don't really think that's the case. He looked at those seated in a circle around him, right? The disciples and others who are in the house where he's doing this. We looked at that, that last week in the courtyard, and he said, here are my mother, here are my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So he, he does it when, when Mary arrives with his brothers. He's not taking it as a moment to insult them or dishonor them. He's taking it as a moment to say to the disciples, to whom he's trying to teach about the kingdom of God, that in the kingdom of God, the family are your brothers and sisters in him, in Christ. That's who, that's, who, that's who your primary family is. To whom is your principal loyalty? If you have to choose. We don't live at a time here in Plano or Frisco, Texas, where we have to choose, I think, between um, Jesus and our families. In most cases, there are probably families that, that do, but but not here, not me, not probably not you, I don't know. But your choice has to be Jesus. Patty. Scott, um, when we ended class last week, uh -huh. we had a, a very last minute um, text by Linda Waldo that we just couldn't get around to. Oh, that's right, we sure did. And her question is, is about all of this that you're talking about, because she wrote, I am wondering why Mary did not explain to the half-siblings, hmm. who Jesus was. Well, okay, so let's just... What what are things we don't know? Well, what do we... Okay, what do we know about Jesus before he's like 30? We have the birth stories, right? Mm -hmm. Then the next one, and we're told he grew in wisdom and stature in Luke. And then the next story we have is his sort of coming to manhood story 
when he is about the age of what would now be a bar mitzvah, and he is left behind um, in the temple when Mary and Joseph and the family all head back, head back to Nazareth. Then what do we get? Nothing else until the opening of his public ministry when he's about 30. And so we have lots of questions. What did Jesus know? What did Mary tell him about his birth? What did Joseph tell him about his birth? It's all speculation. Um, uh, I, I did. I in. I don't know why I keep talking about this book, but it's Anne Rice's book, Out of Egypt. And, it's, and in her book, she imagines that Jesus is seven or eight and the family has returned. Okay? And they are making a home. And Jesus is being seven or eight years old. He's now awakening. But there are family secrets that they haven't told him. Right? About, about what happened at, at his birth and things. And the years are passing. And the years are passing. Why doesn't Mary tell the siblings, Linda asks me, more about what, what happened then? Well, hmm, do you remember the story of Joseph and the magic technicolor dream coat, right? So Joseph's brothers all resent him. So Mary, I don't think, would want his brothers to resent him. And I'm inclined to think that as time passes, um, she perhaps realizes that even if she told them, they wouldn't, they wouldn't buy it. They would just dismiss it as sentimental talk from their mother about something that happened decades ago. What happened to Jesus when he rose in his hometown? This is Luke chapter 4, when Jesus rose in his hometown of Nazareth and had the scroll, the scroll was open and handed to him, and he read from Isaiah, and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, the townspeople are okay for a bit, and then they turn on Jesus. Why do they turn on Jesus? Because he's just the little boy who was running up and down the dirty little pathways in, in Nazareth. They had to take care of him, and they had to change his diaper and all that other stuff when he was a little. And and it, it seems almost blasphemous to, for him to take these scriptures about the Messiah and direct them to himself. And they, they turn on him. So maybe Mary is just being, just being careful. And remember, and I'll, I'll just have one other thought on this. Go back and read the story in Luke, which is basically centered on Mary. There isn't a lot said to her about what will happen and what does any of this mean and how you put the pieces together. I mean, Jesus is sitting here with his disciples day after day, week after week, month after month, trying to help them see the meaning of what Jesus is saying and doing. So I would be, I think we should be kind toward Mary and um, not assume that she knows more or understands more than she, than she really can. I don't know. So there we go. Um, um, uh, Susan Faulkner posted, it's, it just seems dismissive and not like Jesus. And I agree.
agree with her. I, I it does seem dismissive, isn't it? It is because it is. He's not just saying about these half brothers who don't believe who he is, but his mother, so, who was so faithful to him right till the end. Who was there at the cross? Who was there on the Easter it, morning? It, exactly, and of course, all that, all of that lies ahead, right? Yes. But um, I think that what Jesus is doing is so difficult that when he can make a hard point, he does. And so he doesn't say it in some soft little way. Instead, he says it in a dramatic way, in a pointed way. And he says, well, let me tell you who my family is, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, they are my brother and sister and mother. And so everybody in that culture, which so values family, would be taken aback. But that's how you get heard. That's how you get, that's how you get remembered. Um, does he honor his mother? Yeah. So what happens when he's on the cross? What does he do for his mother when he's on the cross? He appoints John to take care of her. He wants her to be taken care of. Right, and so so he makes John promise that he will take care of her. So I, I all I'm saying is I don't see any reason to think that you need to believe that Jesus is somehow being dismissive, dishonoring, disrespectful. He's got this huge point to make, which would be a pretty big point in America. But we are not built around family the way some other cultures are. Okay, at least. The white America I grew up in. We're not built around families that same way. And here is, here's the point. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I've told the story many times. I grew up Episcopalian. So we Episcopalians had certain ways of doing things. And my Baptist friends in Minden, Louisiana, they had certain ways of doing things. And one of the ways of my Baptist, my, my Baptist friends was in their church, they tended to call each other brother and sister. Well, Episcopalians did not do that. And it always seemed odd to me that they called themselves brothers and sisters and kind of an affective sort of thing. But as I came to understand the New Testament better and the Bible better, I came to see, no, they were right. The Christians around the globe, all of us who have put our faith in Jesus, however haltingly that might be, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, in Christo, in Christ. We are in Christ as persons and we are in Christ as, as the church, as the family, as the children of God, as, as brothers and sisters. Um, in this family. And that would have to be a driving point for the Christians of the first century. Because in the first century, there were many people who came to the Jesus movement as it went forward and did have to choose between Jesus and their own family. And when they chose their own family, they would be shunned. But Jesus would say to them, you are my brother. 
you are my sister. And that was that would have been something that affected a lot of families. It's why the Christians in the first century in these Greco-Roman towns were labeled as being destroyers of family values, not upholders of family values, destroyers of family values. Because they said that your first loyalty is to Jesus. Your first loyalty is to the body of Christ. We who are bound together in this way by the Holy Spirit and are thus in Christ, we are a family. And you have to rewire your heart and brain to, to think that way. So then Linda says, maybe in that culture at that time it would not have seemed dismissive. Well, I think it... I wouldn't soften it that way. He's not being dismissive. He, it's a harsh thing to say. I will say that. I don't like dismissive. I like hard. It's it's it is harsh. Why is he harsh? Because it's an opportunity to make a dramatic point, point for those he's teaching. Um why Go to John's Gospel. I know why I said we would just try to stay in Mark's Gospel, but why go to John's Gospel? What does Jesus say to his mother when she comes and tells them of this problem that the party giver is running out of wine? It's not my time. Hey, hey. <laughs> Back off, Mom. That is kind of dismissive. Hey, <laughs> hey, is. hey, hey. Not my time. My hour has not come. Okay. Point made. His hour had not come. So what did he do? He, did he eventually what he did what mother said. Do you think he became a disrespectful, dishonoring son after this? Of course not. Is that Jesus? He was a righteous Jew. Of course not. It is funny, though, what we're, we're talking, talking yeah. about this. Even when he was 12 and the parents are out of their minds, I can't even imagine what Mary's going through. And when when they find him, he says, like... What's wrong with you people? Didn't you know what I'd be doing? So it's a way of him reminding yes. them that he's really not like the other Do we have any thirteen year olds in the Bible where Jesus is saying something really nice to his mother? Like, hey well, mom, I love you. <laughs> something. <laughs> the best moment is when he puts her in John's care. Yes. That I mean that's a big moment. It Otherwise is. there isn't much Man. there isn't much interaction with his own family. Right? As I said, the brothers don't be, from everything we know, the brothers don't become followers of Jesus during, um, but before his death and resurrection. Okay? So, wow. Okay. All right. So let's go on to chapter four. Now we're going to have kind of a little break. We're going to change location. Now Jesus is going to move from the streets of Capernaum um, to a place alongside the Sea of Galilee. He goes up the shore or down the shore a little bit, um, pretty straightforward, um, and crowds are following him, and he's going to teach. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So just picture it's a steep rocky hillside. 
So there are a number of places along that shoreline that are like natural amphitheaters. They're curved, they're rocky. I've been there a number of times. They're curved, they're rocky, um, and the crowd would be in this, and he moves some distance, not that far, but just a little ways out on the water, and the natural rocky amphitheater enables him to be heard by a larger crowd than if they were just standing in the open. That makes sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Well, verse 2, he taught them many things by parables. So what is a parable? A parable is a piece of truthful fiction. Sometimes people get too left-brained and wouldn't understand what I mean by that. They're stories. They aren't stories ripped from the headlines. They are fictional stories, but they carry the truth. They carry the truth. I, we were talking about this in my class on Sunday, and I was asked about parables, and you know, I said parables aren't restricted to Scripture. We all use parables. We all tell stories. Um, um, some of them we know are fictitious, in other words, and others maybe we weren't so sure about the first time we heard them. And the example I used was George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. So for a boy as I was at one time so long, long ago, what was that about? Well, that was a parable about telling the truth. Tell the truth, Scotty. Tell the truth. Look what George, tell the truth. So, so they're very common. And Jesus tells very long involved parables. One of the longest um, is the um, parable of the prodigal son. We have one right now that is a long parable, the parable of the sower, S-O-W-E-R. To sow something is to, S-O-W, is to go to a field like for wheat and spread the wheat seed around so it will grow up. That sowing and reaping is when you harvest it, okay? For all us city folks here in, in Plano and Frisco and such. So um, some of them are very short, very brief. Um, some scholars have wanted to say, well, you know, every parable has one point. I don't know that that's really true. A lot of them do have one point. A lot of them are pretty simple. If if we get far enough today, we're going to come upon a very simple parable. Um, and some of them are very challenging. You're left with scratching your head. And a lot of others kind of fall somewhere in the middle. So anyway, so that, that Jesus loved to teach in parables. And he's going to talk today, <laughs> at least in this passage of Scripture, about why that is. And that is hard for people. So we'll make our way through it, I promise. So verse 2, he taught them many things by parables, and in his teachings he said this. So here we go. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And he's, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. So right off the bat, when Jesus, a teacher, a rabbi, is telling a story of seed being sown, his fellow Jews 
would make a quick connection to several places in the Old Testament in which God is the sower of seed. And when God sows seed, it always comes back, right? You sow the seed, of course, it's going to come back in, in, in abundance. God's word isn't going to go out and just lay fallow on the ground. God's word is going to come back. It's going to be in, in this abundant return. That is sort of the Old Testament image of this sowing farmer. But Jesus says the farmer went out to sow his seed. Okay, very good. They think they know what's coming. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Well, that's surprising. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Well, that's surprising. All kinds of seed is being sown by the farmer, God, basically, and it's not being reaped in abundance. It's lying fallow, lying unused, dead, whatever, eaten up by the birds, dying in the sun, whatever it might be. So the crowd is wondering now, what's going on? What's happening? God's word can't come up like this. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, and it produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times over. This is a hugely abundant crop after the seed being sown. But that's only the fourth alternative, right? The first three, the seed never amounted to anything. It's almost as if God's word could go out and, and not bear fruit. Then only some of God's word would bear fruit. You know, I've heard N.T. Wright talk about this parable, and he, he says, look, for us Westerners in our day, it's hard to get the impact of this parable on the people who would have heard it in Jesus' day. They'd be sitting there or standing there with their jaws a little bit agape. Wow. Okay. Okay. And all Jesus says then is, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Like, okay, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now that is not a throwaway line. It might sound like it. It's not a throwaway line. We need to hang on to it. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Gosh, is that in Revelation too? Oh, it's in a bunch of places. Okay. It probably is in Revelation, Patty. And 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 right? If you're going to really Well, what we I don't want to get ahead of myself. When we'll get there. When he was alone, the twelve. Remember, we've been introduced in Mark to the names of the capital T 12. And you know, it's the NIV, how the 12 is capitalized, that's proper. Because as I said last week, maybe the week before, the 12 denotes a specific number 
It's the, and in some ways, the number is more important than the names. It is the number because there were 12 tribes of Israel. Now there are 12 disciples. There will be 12 apostles because even Judas will be replaced in Acts 1. And it's 12 because Jesus is forming around himself a new Israel. That he will take on a new exodus when it is his body that will be broken and his blood that will be poured out as the lambs was in the first exodus out of slavery to Egypt. He, Jesus will be taking his people on an exodus from sin and death. So, verse 10, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them. Now, okay, so let's focus in on one thing. He told the parable from the boat, right, to the people gathered along the shoreline, right? Is I have that right? Yes. I think I do. Okay. Now, when he was alone, so now the crowds are gone and Jesus is alone with the 12 and some others of his disciples. And they ask him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, big word, to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, quote, and now this is, this is a quote from the prophet I, Isaiah. They may, Isaiah 6, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, y'all were shocked by what he said about his mother and his family. This thing is, what do we do with this, right? Right, if you want, yeah, let's do that. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Let's just do this. We're in no big hurry here. We have all the time in the world. Until 4.15. <laughs> today, today. But otherwise, we can, we can do this until I'm not here or Jesus comes back. So go to um, Isaiah. It's hard for me to find things on my iPad, I will admit. All right, so go to Isaiah chapter 6. This is the famous passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah. This is where Isaiah, Isaiah is called. And he goes in and he has this big vision and, and it's all tremendous and the things are shaking and there's seraphim, these flying creatures flying around the altar all the time. And um, uh, he feels utterly unworthy, utterly unworthy. And, and one of the seraphim fly over and, with a pair of tongs and pick up a hot coal to bring it back to touch to Isaiah's lips to like, to like, purify him, because that's what fire does. Fire, fire purifies. Um, so look at verse 8. So Isaiah, is, it, this is still in this vision he's having. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Because this is Isaiah's call. Who will go for us? And I said, famously, Here am I. Send me, just like the great hymn. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me, Isaiah says. 
And then what does God say to Isaiah? Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people callous to make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Yeah, hmm, Patty says, hmm, hmm. A really hard passage. Like you left, well, what is that about? Could it be that these people have driven themselves so far away from God that they've already, have you ever seen Thumb and Louise? Remember when they drive the car over the cliff? There is this period of time between reaching the edge of the cliff and hitting the bottom. (laughs) <laughs> in that movie. So could it be that they've already left the cliff and there's really nothing to be done for them now? That's an already and not yet moment. Yeah, kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, they're going to die. But um, they haven't actually died yet. <laughs> you know, with the, with the prophets, they're just some really, really hard pieces. And Mark goes back to this piece. Jesus goes back to this piece when he's talking about parables. Okay. So let's go back to Mark 4, and we're at verse 12. So Jesus, Jesus says, okay, I've been teaching in parables um, because the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The you, the Y-O-U, those are his disciples. Not the crowd, his disciples. Um, let me give you another connection. When Jesus in Matthew, when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, is it to everybody? No. He retreats up the mountainside, his disciples come with him, and he gives them the Sermon on the Mount. Sort of that training in the God of righteousness is meant for his disciples, not the people on the outside, only the people on the inside. You know, that was so interesting to me the first time that, um, you know, I had read it so many times, but you explained that, and this is many years ago, because there's so many scriptures where Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee, and the large crowds do form around him. And somehow, I just had intertwined the stories and imagined him talking to hundreds of people. And, of course, because we know, don't we don't pay enough attention to the geography, and we re, we don't pay enough attention to whom is he speaking. Absolutely, we we all grow up making that mistake because you're just kind of waiting to get to the good stuff, the stuff in red letters, right? See, that's why I don't like red letter Bibles. They they sort of you're you're moving so fast between the red letters that you skip like who's he talking to or all he's so when he says. Um, the 12 and the others around him. And he says, I've given you the secret of the kingdom of God. Those are the insiders. Those are people who have what? They have already chosen Jesus. And he's been, he's been training them in the kingdom of God. So many, many parables begin. Well, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. They're like little 
little training what they're like little little training videos you would go to on YouTube or something but you could only get to them if you had the right password and the password is only given to the insiders not to the outsiders not to the world at large the 10 commandments everybody goes on and on and on and on and on about the 10 commandments were the 10 commandments given to the world no they were given to the Israelites as part of the law that created Israel and bound them to God. The Ten Commandments don't have any meaning outside one's reference to God. So you can't take somebody who doesn't believe in God and try to beat the Ten Commandments into them. It doesn't make sense. The first, the first tablet in the Ten Commandments is about God. You have to go about things in the right order. So Jesus' order is this. There are those on the inside, the disciples. There are those on the outside, most everybody else, right? Many of his teachings are for the, most of his teachings are for those on the inside who have already put their trust in Jesus. It might be halting you know, they not they might they they don't have to know everything going on, but they have committed themselves. They've all shoot, we saw Mark, we saw Peter and Andrew and John and James, sons of Zebedee, they just dropped their nets their nets and followed Jesus. Matthew at the tax booth just just goes, just follows Jesus. So they have made this commitment. They've made this commitment. And they are part of the, the family. They're learning what it means. Remember in the previous line, um, it said, whoever does the will of God is my family. They are learning what it means to do the will of God. You might think it's Jews. Well, they would know what the will of God is, but they don't. Why? Because they've been poorly led. They've been led by Pharisees and priests and scribes who think that somehow the law of God would mean that Jesus shouldn't heal somebody on the Sabbath. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. And Jesus calls them on it. Right? We've been there already. So... But to those on the outside, this is still in verse 11, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. They are to come to Jesus first. He, he doesn't want people thinking that, oh, well, I understand the parables. Hmm, nice intellectual exercise here. Interesting, okay, fine. No, no, it's all about Jesus. You have to come to Jesus first. It's all about Jesus. Everything is focused on Jesus. Until you come to Jesus, you're not going to be given the secret of the kingdom. You are not going to be given the understanding that the disciples have. It's not an, this is not an intellectual exercise. It's an exercise of will you trust Jesus? And if you trust Jesus... The Holy Spirit, you know, today, the Holy Spirit will, will, what can I say? Holy Spirit will train you in the kingdom of God. Jesus is with these men and women. 
training them in the kingdom of God, but they are on the inside. They had, their first choice was Jesus. The people on the outside, they haven't chosen Jesus yet. If they had, they would be on the inside. You see? Is that at all helpful, Patty? Yes. Yes, it is. Well, hallelujah. It is. Okay, because... I guess, to me, yeah. one of the things is that I would think some of the parables would help the people on the outside to know Jesus. And you know what I mean? To understand more about him and who he was by the parables he tells. So in some ways it seems kind of, you know... Some like, of the parables, you know, are, parables are pretty easy to get. Yes. But other ones are not, and Jesus' point is still the same. It's like the family that we just, just had. The focus is on Jesus. He is the bringer of the kingdom. He is the one upon whom all this is focused. Right? Whether it's parables or the family showing up, whatever it might be, it's focused upon, it's focused upon Jesus. And if we put ourselves in Jesus' day, not the priests, not the scribes, not the law of Moses, none of that. Not the land. It's fo focused upon Jesus. The who, not the what or the when or anything else. The who, and that who is Jesus. Okay, so anybody out there have anything about this one? I don't see you in your comments okay. on this one. So, so now in addition to, remember I said there were these two themes, um, uh, escalating disclosure of who Jesus is alongside escalating opposition to Jesus. Now we have another sort of binary themes. Outside, inside, and outside. Inside and outside. And it is important to understand to whom Jesus is speaking when he when he says what he says because that changes the meaning of it it helps you understand what jesus is doing so he is training his disciples in the kingdom and he says to them now in verse 13 don't you understand this parable ah sort of like i love this next line wow how then will you understand any parable so the farmer sows the word Okay, see, it's not seed, it's the word, that Old Testament thing, right? The farmer sows the word. <coughs> Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Right? Okay. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. So I think that most everybody can find a lot of truth 
in those three, particularly the second two, because, right? Right, we've probably all known people who were all, in, they, they come, they get all enthusiastic for Jesus and they're jumping up and down and they got the bumper sticker and they buy a big fat Bible and all this other stuff and you see them a year later and it's all kind of passed away, choked out by maybe their worries, maybe their desire to be certain things in life that just, no, it's no time, no room, I'm too busy for any of that. Yep, you know, I think to be, even for us Westerners in, in 2023, it's, uh, some of that can hit a little close to home. Oh, there's so many distractions. There are. There. So many distractions, so many fears, so many worries. It's easy, it's easy to give it to them. But we shouldn't take the easy path, the harder path. Is to stay focused on Jesus. I, I I don't think that the easier path is staying focused on Jesus. We're bombarded with so much stuff every day that the easier default path is to go chasing after the ways of the world and the things of the world and the worries of the world and the wealth of the world and the celebrities and all this other stuff that's out there. But that's that's a dreadful mistake. We have to stay focused on, on Jesus and realize what really matters. Better, who really matters? See, I changed the what to who. Who really matters? And that who is Jesus. So Scott, to go back to that, Lynn just said, she thinks the third one is the greatest threat to the Western world. Let's go back to the third one for a minute. Well, that's the worries. The deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things. It just it just chokes out Jesus. You know, it's we are just we are just we and so many of us and are just we're just affluent and it's just easy to just take the why what? To take the Jesus stuff and rationalize it completely into this affluent world of 2023 and not hear Jesus well, not see Jesus well, not understand what he's saying to us, not understanding why one of the major themes in the New Testament is the dangers of wealth. Outside this parable, the dangers of wealth. It's not that wealth is bad in and of itself, but it's dangerous, you know? The um, Paul doesn't say that the money is the root of all evil. What he says is the love of money is the root of all evil. Of all evil, and boy, there's a lot of people who love their money, and the, you know you can't love God and all your money at the same time. Another thing Jesus said. I don't know if it's a Mark's gospel, but if it is, we'll get there. So, but then there's verse 20. Others like good seed, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept that they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So really the parable, I mean, Jesus is right when he says to his disciples, you know, this parable is not really very hard. 
you could sort of get this one. This is not one of the real challenging ones that I think we would find in 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 the Gospels. Um, and and it's nice to see Jesus to hear Jesus explain it, isn't it? Because lots of times we get the parables, and Jesus all we get in the Gospels is the parables drop, but we don't get any of Jesus's explanation. None of the discussion, you know, between Jesus and his disciples about what it meant. Mm -hmm. We just get the parable. And maybe that's a maybe that's good training for us. I don't know. All right. So, shall we do another parable cuz that's where we are right now. We are in the par we are in some parables. Patty, anything? No, and this this one is a pretty short parable. Too. It is a short, pretty short parable. Yeah. And pretty clear, really. He said to them, who's the them? The crowds? No, his disciples. Yeah, man. <laughs> Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or under a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Well, that's how it works in my bedroom. My 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 lamp, my light, my nightstand light is on the nightstand, not under the bed. What good would it do me if it was under the bed? It's got to be on the nightstand. For whatever is hidden, Jesus says, is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. For if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Now who, if we think about the inside and the outside, who has the ears to hear? Insiders or outsiders? Insiders. Insiders. Exactly. So, what what is Jesus talking to them about here? Shining your light. Sh and and more because that in the kingdom of God, all this world of hiddenness and secrecy. It's all brought out in the open. All the stuff we keep, we think we keep locked away in the little hidden cupboards of our lives, you know, it's all brought out in the open. God, of course, sees it. God, of course, knows it. In the kingdom of God, the light shines in the darkest corners of the world because God's light overcomes the darkness, all of the dark. One of the most damaging aspects of human life are the secrets and lies that we keep and we tell. One, one of, there was a movie, uh, gosh, 30 years ago now maybe, Brenda Blevin, called Secrets and Lies. And there was a, so much truth in that, that her, the lives of these people are basically turned upside down and destroyed by trying to keep secrets and telling lies. And in the kingdom of God, there is none of that. There can't be any of that. That, because secrets and lies destroy the goodness. Verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
Okay, so here we have this, this binary choice, insiders and outsiders. Those who are being trained to live in the kingdom of God and those who are not because they have not come to Jesus. Whoever has will be given more. Um, there's a parable about, about, we won't go into it now, but there's one where, where the, uh, Jesus talks about the fellow burying money in the ground, right? And, and you know, what did you do with it? And there's a reward for the people who do something with the treasure that the master has given them to bury in the ground. So Jesus is going to give these disciples and you and me a lot of responsibility. God is not a God of the magic wand. How is the world to learn about Jesus? Because he will send the disciples slash apostles out into the world and they will make more disciples and they will make more disciples and the word will be carried forth. That's how it happens. There isn't some overflying loudspeaker telling people about Jesus. Because it's really not about hearing as much as it is about seeing the love of God lived out in the lives of others. So, to whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Um, there is no real life outside the kingdom of God. It might look like it for a time. But God is the creator of and sustainer of life. So life, true life, abundant life, eternal life is found in God. You pull God, you pull away from God, and all that can come is decay and loss and death. This, that's the story of Saul. I'm teaching the story of Saul and David right now in my Tuesday class. Saul, oh, disobedient, rebellious, rebellious against God, is sinking deeper and deeper into a darkness. And what does that mean? Is in the book of 1 Samuel, is, is, is it a psychological exposition? No. It's portraying a man who is further and further from God and that darkness that comes from being further and further from God is driving him deeper and deeper into the darkness. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I think a key to understanding a little bit of these of these parables. Oh, there's the tag tagamet time. Sorry, tagamet time. So, sorry, tagamet. Is way back up in verse eleven when he says to them, "Okay, this deal with the parables to those on the outside." So he sets the stage for this understanding, and I realize other other people, other teachers. May, may hear something else in this. That's the wonderful thing about the parables. They have, they, they have multiple, there are multiple ways to approach them. 
But I think a key here, particularly because of where he was just, you know, a dozen verses ago, to those on the outside, inside, outside, those whom he is training and those who are not responding. And when Jesus is going to be talking about those who are not responding, who is he directly going to be speaking to as time goes forward? Who do you think he's going to be directly speaking to? The priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, these men who should know better. But they, even if they do know better, they won't admit it because they've got their positions of authority and power and wealth. And so they will more and more actively oppose Jesus. And it will all be taken from them. You know, 30 years, 30 years, 35 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the priests lose everything. The whole priestly system is gone. The temple's gone. Their wealth is gone. Their authority's all gone. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, never to come back. Never to come back. It's quite something. Okay. So, thoughts or questions about, about all that? So, now he also said, now we're, so we're still speaking to whom? The insiders. Because it hasn't changed, right? Yes. Because it, when he starts, when Mark wants to take you to the crowds, Mark will tell you. <laughs> Jesus went somewhere else and he's going to go to the crowds. He also said, so he's still training the, the, his disciples, these insiders. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Training session number 41A. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Boy, that would be me. I am weak on my botany. All I know is if you plant if you plant the right seeds, you can get the right plants. All by itself, the seed produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head, you know, sort of bit by bit until finally you've gone from seed spread on the ground to this beautiful wheat that you can then harvest and you can separate the wheat from the chaff and make all kinds of delicious bread. I'm not sure I understand. Oh, stop it, Siri. <laughs> so, verse 29, as soon as the grain is ripe, ripe for harvesting, he puts the sickle to it. That's this curved blade they would use to um, harvest grain by hand. Have you ever seen somebody use a sickle? Wow. What laborious work. Talk about building muscles. Man, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. A lot of agricultural metaphors, of course, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well, because these are agrarian economies. So let me ask you a question about this, listeners. The kingdom of God is like, here's what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground. Who's the man? Who does the, who does the man represent? Does the man represent God? No. Do you think it does? I don't. Th- 
No, because no, it yeah. says the the, the man the doesn't man. doesn't know how what he doesn't know how yes. this is happening. Yes. He just puts the seed in the ground. Does the man represent Jesus? No. No. Does the man represent the disciples? Yes. Yes, because mm-hmm. they're like me. <laughs> they don't understand the science of how that little bitty seed turns into this giant wheat plant, right? Um, but it doesn't matter. They know the work they have to do to get the wheat. And so you get the, you know, right? He knows what he has to do. He's He knows what he has to do. And all the time the seed is sprouting and it's growing. And he, he doesn't understand it. But it will produce the grain. It will grow into the wheat. Can, you know, to expand beyond the parable for a moment, can he help the wheat out? Yeah. Sure. Make sure. it make sure it gets enough water, yes. whatever that is, and he's gonna learn the, you know, how to how to get the weeds out and all this stuff. There's a parable about that later, maybe in Mark. Um but in the end, the grain is ripe and the harvest is made. Now that turns our attention back to God. Because the har- the kingdom of God, the harvest at the end of the kingdom of God is whose harvest? It's God's harvest. I could go to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And he says that the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the harvest. And all the rest will follow. And yes, it may be 2,000 years later, but the rest of the harvest will follow. And it's, and it's, and there isn't, I, I don't think there's any reference here to any sort of judgment, but that happens. And some of the parables around um, harvesting, it gets into the wheat and the chaff, and when it gets into the wheat and the chaff, the, cha- the wheat uh, is is the good part, the chaff is, is the junk. And so you have to separate the two, and I think that what they do is they have the two stones, right, the millstones, they grind it up to get to the good stuff. Um, and separating the wheat from chaff is an image of judgment that you find Jesus uses in in the gospels but it he doesn't use it here this is just saying look it's going to happen the kingdom of god is like this it's just going to happen it's going to happen and you may not understand all of it you may not understand a lot of it but it's going to happen So, let's do one more parable and then we will be done with this little block of parables. This is a simple one. Again, Jesus said, still to the insiders only, to his disciples, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? See, remember I said that's how so many parables begin? What is the kingdom of God? What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Well, It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. I talked about this in my class on Sunday. (laughs) I don't know that it's the smallest of all seeds. Come on. doesn't matter. Verse 30, but it's teensy teensy. Yet when planted, it grows. It becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And believe it or not, oh my word, I just lost my... Oh, 
You lost your place? No, I lost my photo thing here. Um, one second. <laughs> no, we come on. Lost you. <laughs> no, I'm trying to pull up the slides, but my little slide window is okay. I'm gonna really mess something up. Anyway, <laughs> let me describe a monster plant tree. Yeah, in fact, I discovered that there are whole articles written on is a plant is a mustard plant, which is the most by volume the most um, sold spice in the world. Is it a plant? Is it a tree? Is it a bush? It grows as large as 12 feet tall. Big bushy limbs, right? And depending on how it's cultivated and grown, it can it creates these yellow flowers and out of that and the yellow stuff you can get you, you get the spice. But yes, it's a big so from this tiny seed, you can grow this big bush where people can stand under and get shade and the rest of it. So, Verse 32, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So that's what the kingdom of God is like. So that point is really pretty straightforward, that just these tiny little seeds that Jesus that constitute, constitute Jesus and his disciples today are going to blossom into the worldwide family of Christ that is counted in the billions in 2023. That's it. A pretty simple little but lovely parable. In verse 33, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. <laughs> I mean, how many training videos can anyone sit down and watch? So, as much as they could understand, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Okay, so to the crowds, he teaches in parables, and to his disciples, he explains them. And, um, you know, it's possible that I have a, such an inter interesting question to me. It almost reads like somewhere in this process, he went from teaching only to insiders to everybody because, but all it says is he said to them, he said to them, he also said, again, he said, um, spoke the word to them. That's a problem with pronouns sometimes. But anyway, we get the drift that to the outsiders, he spoke in parables. Because what he wants is for them to come to him. To come to him. To trust him. It's the who. So, anyway. Wow, a lot of parables today, Patty. Wow, that was. That was. So, I remember you did a series on parables. I once. sure did. Yes. We might have done it in church, too, I think, maybe over the years. Sermon series. So I'm going to do a little research and look at what a few people have to say about these pronouns. Yeah. 
the referent of the pronoun gotcha. that Jesus is using. Because Mark doesn't give us enough. Right. Well, at one point he is addressing the crowds, and, and then it does say, a couple parables back, when he was alone with the twelve, and then it never tells us he's back with the crowd again. So yes, but then you get down here, and yes. it seems that he says, well, okay, so we'll just take it at face value, and he's just explaining. We're hearing again that he, he speaks to the crowds in parables, but only explains them to his disciples. Okay, wow. All righty. All righty. Good class, though. I was... I, I, See, I have this little block that goes right here on the screen. Yes. That is what I use to, to switch over to the slides, and it's gone. There is no block. <laughs> right it's gone. I mean, blocks. I could find it, but I was afraid I was going to like cut us off or switch us off happen. or something like that. Yes. So yes. I didn't want to fumble finger my way into a big problem here today, <laughs> like I did when you were gone a couple weeks ago. That's quite all right, honey. I'm sure everybody was okay with you. <laughs> Thank you guys for Very being much. here Thanks today. Thanks for being here today. We um, are always, always happy to see everybody's names online and uh, try to picture everybody's little faces. And, and next week, yes, we begin with Jesus calming the storm. Wow. Big story. Yeah. Wow. Famous story. Okay. Well this known. is not the get out of the boat story. This, this is another, not the get out another, of this. Uh, not the walk on water story. This yeah. is the Jesus calms the storm story. story. Okay. All righty. So many stories take place around that Sea of Galilee or that Lake of Galilee, whatever people call it. It's it's really amazing. It is. That was home base. It was. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you, everybody, again. Um, if you would close me, close with me in prayer today. Um, hopefully, we'll see some of you tomorrow at the Tuesday class, which is really fun if you can come in per in person. We've had a really full room the yeah. last couple months, and um, it's hard to beat the stories of David and Saul yes. and the rest of it. So, and Scott has a great way of interpreting them, and you know, I, I don't know. We all laugh a lot in that class, anyway. So, and, but we're still learning. We're still learning. So, please, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together. Uh, Lord, right now in studying your words through the gospel, through a gospel, Lord, and, uh, you know, other books we read through, especially, of course, all the Old Testament, we don't get to see and uh, experience things that your son, Jesus Christ, actually did on his time here on earth, and uh, we just thank you, God, for these gospel stories and in allowing us to see that firsthand. We pray, God, that you would be with this group as we move forward in this week ahead. We pray, God, for all of us, God, that you would keep us healthy and safe, Lord. And we pray for your wisdom and your discernment, God, every day in our lives to help us make good decisions, Lord, big and small. All this we pray in the great name of your risen Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Bye, Adios. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.